In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, Trekkies and everyone else, to episode 16 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, here with Patrick. Hey, and we are extremely excited to talk about the newest film in J.J. Abrams' rebooted Star Trek movie franchise. To say we enjoyed it is probably a gross understatement. I'm ready to jump right in, so full ahead. <laughs> whoa, 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 cowboy. All right. Before we... <laughs> I know, man. Before we do start discussing Trek, let's do the logical thing and follow our established plan, shall we? Okay. If you're listening... Okay. So let me let me get rid of the just the, the nuptials or whatever it is we're calling these things, the logistics, and we can we can get right into it. <laughs> so if you're listening for the first time, we always like to chat a bit about what we've been up to each week before we get into our weekly review. This gives you a chance to get to know us a little bit better and provides us an outlet to make recommendations worthy of your time. So Aaron, since you are racing to get started, why don't you go first? Okay, fair enough. Um well my first thing that I did this last week, the first thing that I want to discuss that I watched is I took your recommendation to heart and I was able to check out Raiders, the documentary yes. that we talked about last week. Um, for the listeners that have not heard our Tomorrowland episode, you gave some very in-depth uh, history and an explanation of what the Raiders documentary is and how it came to be and stuff like that. So I'm not going to rehash all of that. If you want to hear Patrick talk about Raiders, which I highly recommend, make sure you've listened to at least the beginning, you know, 10 minutes or so of our Tomorrowland episode. It is a fantastic documentary, one of the best I've ever seen. Briefly, I will just say it covers, the, the material covers uh, the story of uh, a group of young friends who I believe when they were 11 years old, they started to recreate, refil- they were filming a recreation of Raiders of the Lost Ark shot by shot. And they did this over a course of like seven years, every summer, every break, every free chance they got, they were recreating the movie that they were just completely in love with. And it tells their story, gets pretty emotional. Um, they go, they have lives just like everybody else. They go through, you know, puberty and high school and have issues just like everybody else. They have falling outs, they have struggles in their lives. And it all comes down to this moment where they're coming back together to try and get this one last final shot. Um, that these, so you kind of got a documentary where it's interspersed with a current attempt to get this last major shot. And then also this history of the past and how this, this, this movie that they made came to be. And it is fascinating. I don't want to give away much more than that because it is well worth your time. Um, so Patrick was right. Thank you. Glad I could help. Yeah. Everybody check out Raiders. Next for me, uh, in the gaming world, I actually have discovered something that is very much not my norm. Um, there's a, a game that I recently bought and started playing called Stardew Valley. And Patrick, I don't know if you're familiar with the Harvest Moon series of video games. Have you heard of those at all? Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard of them, but of course, being the non-gamer that I am, I have not played them. Right. So I figured. And it's, so the Harvest Moon series focuses on, this is gonna, don't laugh, but it focuses on farming and socialization and like basically, basically it's like farming and getting your farmer married. 
Okay. That's... Well, that makes perfect sense. In the world of Pokemon Go, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on Pokemon Go. Um, I'll never stop. But this game takes a lot from Harvest Moon. It's kind of like a Harvest Moon plus Animal Crossing plus Minecraft or Terraria. So if, you, if, if you're listening out there and you've played any of those games and you kind of can see how those might fit together, um, that's what this game is. It's got you know 2D sprites. The graphics are pixel graphics, um, but it's really adorably done. And I am not normally the kind of guy that liked that kind of game because they're very much methodical. You have to you know get up each day and you have to water your crops and you have to make sure they don't die. And you have to go flirt with everybody in town so you can get your relationships up. And you have to manage all of these different tasks. And for some, you know, you have to worry about your animals. You got to make sure your animals are fed. It's a simulation game. <laughs> and, uh, and and I never liked those. I never have liked those. But for some reason, this thing has just taken me over and, and just I, I'm in love with it. I adore it. I can sit down and play it for a six hour block of time or I can sit down and play it for 30 minutes, go through a one day cycle of my character's life. And I enjoy it. I love it. And um, I, I just it's really what I want to do with my free time. Most of my free time now uh, for the last week and a half or so that hasn't been podcasting related. And I highly recommend it for anybody that is into any of those games. I mentioned harvest moon, animal crossing, Terraria, Minecraft, that style of game. Stardew Valley is well worth checking out. Very cool. I love games that not only entertain us, but also make us feel responsible. <laughs> they do. I'm, and I'm, I'm working on my, uh, my romance. My romance life in this game is way better than my romance life in real life. I have like three potential girlfriends <laughs> going on right now, and that's three more than real life. So that's a win. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, the last thing I just wanted to briefly mention is, is not necessarily something I would normally have done, but with Star Trek coming out and us, us going to be doing the episode on it, my kids had never seen the two J.J. Abrams films. Uh, so what we did is we decided to kind of do like a little marathon. And Thursday night, we sat down and we watched Star Trek 2009. And then Friday night, we sat down and we watched Star Trek Into Darkness. And then Saturday night, we went and saw Star Trek Beyond. And that experience has just been really amazing. Uh, getting to do something like that with my kids, it's always one of my favorite things, and I've mentioned that many times on the podcast, uh, how the experience of watching a movie with them, introducing them to something, uh, or even seeing something new with them and just getting to see their reactions, uh, it, it's always an enhanced experience for me, no matter what, uh, versus if I was just watching it by myself or without them. And this was no different. I mean, they took to these characters just like I did when Star Trek came out in 2009. I mean, they fell in love with them. They picked favorites. They laughed out loud. They giggled with giddy you know, glee when certain uh, action sequences took place. And they were able to follow it pretty darn well. And they really enjoyed it. And they loved the new Star Trek movie as well. They had a blast. And so just, I don't know, just getting to go through this rewatch experience, which I would have done by myself anyway, uh, just to kind of catch myself up and be ready. Um, it was, it was enhanced by being able to do it with them. And it also put me in a place where, man, I was hyped to see Star Trek beyond, but it put me like super hyped when, by the time I, I was sitting in that theater chair, having just watched the other two back to back, 
I realized how big of a deal this franchise is to me, and I'm sure we will talk about that more later. But uh, yeah, so that that's my long week and various things that I was into and up to. What about uh, you? What were you doing? Well, my week was not incredibly eventful. I had a lot of outside stuff going on that wasn't necessarily entertainment related. My wife and I have been kind of hit or miss this week in terms of spending time with each other. So we had a block of time Saturday night and we decided to plop down on the couch and watch a movie. Now, if you know my wife and I, you know that we don't necessarily have the same tastes when it comes to movies. So you watch Civil War, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's just say that she would not be the first to dive into a podcast like this. This isn't really her thing. But she enjoys spending time with her husband, and I likewise like spending time with her. So I said, well, pick something. Um, from a list of you know movies that we've seen or in this case movies that I hadn't seen and so she was flipping through some ones that I had in my queue that I hadn't seen yet and she goes what about this one and I said this looks good it was the help you have not seen the help sir well I have now well, Just, oh, uh, but leading up to this last this yes <laughs> this was one I, I have shocked. I know there's a bucket list of movies that are out there from you know several years ago all the way up to this past year that I just haven't had a chance to sit down and watch either because I haven't been in the mood to watch them or I haven't necessarily had the time to watch them. So we sat down for the two and a half hours of the movie and I got to experience the help. and I was completely immersed in it, um, especially in light of all the racial stuff going on in our country. I was just connected with all of the strong female characters in this movie. Um, I didn't cry. I got emotional in a couple of couple of spots. But um, my wife, she did what she predicted. She had the, quote, ugly cry going on by the end of the movie. <laughs> but it it was just, it was good to be able to experience that, especially with the backdrop of what's been going on in our country, because it made me appreciate the need for understanding racial equality and the need for on a personal level, just learning how to love people and valuing people and stuff like that. So from a personal standpoint, it was, um, it was a very much needed film that I needed to see and experience, but from an entertainment perspective, the, the writing alone was just phenomenal and the acting Overall, I mean, so many female characters coming into this thing, having their own personalities come out and just seeing such a diverse cast of women was just so refreshing for me. And um, I really want to read the book. We we gave it to my sister-in-law as a Christmas gift, um, maybe about a year before the movie came out. And so seeing the movie now, I really want to borrow the book from her and and read it because I'd like to see how the book, which is advertised in the movie as being the thing that's being written about, how it's actually written in real life. So the help, great, worth every nomination that it got at the Oscars because I looked up a bunch of those things and uh, it was just, it was great. Had a, had a really, really great experience with it. That's awesome, man. I'm glad that you did get to see it. And also it's a great movie that for you guys to watch together. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a great choice for her to, 
find something that you, you know she was going to be interested in that would also satisfy your personal love of film um <laughs> and your your kind of heightened um, yeah sense of what a movie is and what it means um, yes. versus her probably just need to be a little bit entertained yeah and so i think that that one is a great choice for you guys and obviously sounds like it was a hit it it really was man we had a, we enjoyed it so I guess it's time to boldly go where probably several people have gone already because there are probably other podcasts out here. But before we do, we want to give you our standard spoiler warning. There will be spoilers because we're going to be talking about a lot of good stuff in this because there was a ton of good stuff in here. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, I'm assuming you have. If you've been a veteran of veteran listener of the show, turn it off. If you have not, let's go if you have. So, Aaron, I'm going to let you take this one since you seem to be the captain <laughs> when it comes to your uh, initial uh, reaction to this based on our Vox messages back and forth. Mm-hmm. Lead, us, lead us into, uh, lead us beyond, lead us into the world of Trek. <laughs> All right. Well, let me just say this. Just uh, I'm going to go ahead and kind of frame it up front with what I think about the movie. I loved this movie. This was so much more than I expected. I had high hopes, but at the same time, those hopes were somewhat tempered from where they probably could have reached simply because we had the Fast and the Furious director, Justin Lin, taking us over from J.J. Abrams. Those hopes were also a little bit tempered because of Into Darkness, which did not quite reach the level of greatness that I feel Star Trek 2009 reached. And so there were a lot of questions going into this based on the trailers. You know, was it going to be just an action movie in space? Um, Was it going to be Fast and Furious in space? Um, And how were they going to handle uh, the relationships that have been built in the movies that have come before it? I was blown away by how good it was. I just I just could not be happier with this film. I mean, it had its little problems or whatever, but for me, this is the best blockbuster of 2016 so far, and I have seen them all. So I feel like I have plenty of room for comparison, but this is my be- this is my favorite. This is my- this is better than BBS to me. This is better than Civil War to me. This is better than Independence Day. This is it. Um, this is the one I'd been waiting for. I am a sci-fi geek, so that plays into it a little bit. But man, Patrick, I <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see it again. I can't wait to own it. This whole series is incredible, and I am one hundred percent on board with everything they are going to do going forward. So. That's my hot take on it. I, I, I have not heard yet, folks, what Patrick feels about this film. He has been very close to. He's played this very close to the vest. Um, I've asked, and he has intentionally not answered uh, as to his feelings about the movie. He's been very vague, and he's been very kind of quiet about that. And so that scares me. I don't know if that means he really liked it or if he hated it, and he's afraid I'm going to be very mad. So, Patrick. I'm going to take a deep breath and you can go ahead and tell me what you thought. I hope you say the right thing. Oh, the right thing. What is that these days? (laughs) 
you can you can you can rest easy, man. This was a winner for me. Ooh. I I had a I had a really great time with it, and I I want to uh, I, I want to say that my hot take is that it was just like you. It was the, maybe this was the surprise winner in terms of blockbuster movies for me this summer. I've not seen as many as you have, but I've seen the major ones. I haven't seen X Men yet, but obviously you and I have seen BVS. We've seen Captain America, and watching this movie the reason why i think it stands alone in terms of being the best blockbuster of the summer exists because i think it is a standalone movie in this star trek franchise i was reading some reviews i came across a criticism of a guy um from from letterboxd and it says quote my biggest issue with this film is its pace and storytelling which is tonally very different from the first two as a result it doesn't feel like it's part of this rebooted series that's his criticism fair game fair enough the funny thing is his criticism is why i really really enjoyed this movie this is the first in this franchise that didn't feel like it had to be tethered to either the previous film or a previous franchise. It didn't feel like it had to pay homage to a bunch of different Trek-isms or Trek history. I'm not, I mean, I'm not a Trekkie. I like a couple of the shows we've talked on social media about which ones we've seen and which ones we need to see. But I don't recall in my experience with these three movies a film that felt less connected and being able to stand on its own and breathe on its own as its own story. And some of the positive reviews have said it feels like an actual just episode of the series. It does. Like it feels like it feels like an adventure. And I think that's where its strength is in the fact that the writers, directors, creative team didn't have to feel like they had to connect it anywhere else. These characters were established. We know their history. We know their demons. We know what they battled. And now this movie is sort of a, an exhale of what makes the characters in the Trek universe so great. Living in the fiction part of science fiction, having great dialogue and great chemistry between characters, and introducing new characters along the way. That's where I think I really, really enjoyed it the most because it didn't feel like I had to know anything about the previous two movies that I could just be in this moment and enjoy the adventure that these guys were experiencing. Yeah, man. I 100% agree with you. And the, the, the review you read that guy's criticism is indeed, you know, my reasons for loving it as well. I think the episodic nature of it, it, it's actually, there's a great meta moment that says that in the film. I mean, they knew. They knew what they were doing. And Kirk, during his opening uh, Captain's Log sequence, or where he's where he's seen, where he's kind of voicing this Captain's Log, uh, he even says that the days in space, um, being out there for so long now, is starting to feel episodic. And I was just like, you know, why would you use that word? And like, <laughs> you're, you're so, it's so smart. I mean, it just speaks to the writing of this show. Oh. A movie, not show. See, I see. I even call it a show because it yeah. feels like a show, right? It's just so natural. Right. Um, huh, I, I could not get over how well they 
did the transition from um, taking it in, in this big blockbuster, crazy, like world's going to end like the, or the Federation, you know, the end of the Federation is at hand. You know, there's, there's uh, the Admiral from within in into darkness. Who's, you know, s- sabotaging essentially what's going on uh, via um, con uh, and using him and then trying to, and getting Kurt caught in the middle, but just the, the level of, uh, I guess, deep nature of that and, and how it's, it's all about, it's very big. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the words to phrase it, but it's into darkness takes this huge concept of, um, everything, their whole world is going to collapse because if, if this, if the Federation collapses, you know, if Starfleet comes crashing down over this whole incident with Khan, like, seems like it's going to be happening between him and the Admiral. Um, that's a big, big deal. Whereas this one takes a smaller kind of look at that. I mean, yes, our villain eventually wants to come after Starfleet and the Federation, but these guys are, I mean, we're out there in the middle of nowhere. We're out there in the frontier at this point. Um, so it's going to take a while for him to get there, even if he does conquer this station. But yeah, I, agree with everything you said. I also think that as far as the Star Trek movies go, something that has really kept me just dialed into them and paying attention is their hope and their optimism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they keep that on the forefront. Um, it, you know, I, I got to make this comparison. I'm not making this comparison because it's a, a better or worse. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that out there right now. We try, we try not to do that on our show. Um, because we respect and we like all forms of art and I love star Wars and I love star Trek for me personally. I prefer star Trek. If I had to, if you, if you had, if I, if you gave me a choice and you said one universe has to go away, I would pick the star Trek idea over the star Wars idea. And for me, the reason is the star Wars idea comes down mostly to good versus evil the end of the day, I mean, there's a lot going on. There's family, there's friendship. There's these other things that are happening, but it's a lot of good versus evil, light side, dark side, big force. (laughs) What's going to happen? Star Trek is a moral dilemma. Every single episode and every single movie, it's moral dilemma. It's a, it's a philosophical, philosophical uh, conversation about what should be happening versus what shouldn't be happening. Um, It's ideas about the future and how humanity is going to act. And I think that that's probably what happens is I can connect with Star Trek because it's me. It's me however many years from now. And a world like Star Wars, it's not actually me. Yes, they're humanoid. And they look like Earthlings. They act like Earthlings. They talk like Earthlings. Mm -hmm. But they're not Earth. But Star Trek is founded and, and grounded in the idea of it is you and me in the future and how we would handle the ability to go out there in space. What are we going to do with that power? Right. I I think that you, you made a point about the, the philosophical drive of Star Trek as, as a franchise, whether it's a television show, whether it's one of the movies. Gene Roddenberry really played that up. Like, that was his vision. I don't know a lot about the guy, but I know that he... he, he, he at least in these movies, you see that a lot. Coincidentally, these, the Star Trek universe, as I mentioned before, airs on the side of the fiction side of science fiction. So there's a lot more fantasy. So 
the Star Trek universe is very allegorical. It's, I, I, would, I would argue that it's not like this is where we're going to be in terms of the science side of things. I wish we had replicators. I think that'd be cool. I wish we had holodecks. That would make vacationing so much cheaper, <laughs> yeah, in my for, opinion. For sure. <laughs> but when it comes to the ideas that are explored about the prime directive or about the good of humanity, the themes that are explored in here about um, family, about working together as a team, about the idea that the world can be good and it's worth fighting for that good, as opposed to, as Kroll said, being born into a world of war and having to continue to try to capture that. Those ideas exist in, in more of an allegorical form. And I think that's where we can connect equally as much. It's not like me saying I'm totally Kirk, but it's more like me saying the idea of what Kirk stands for or Picard or, you know, other, or, or Janeway, you know, captains of these versions of the enterprise, we connect with those ideas because they are the ideal of who we'd want to be. Other characters exist in this, in the, in the Trek universe that we can also connect with. There are times when I felt like I was a wharf or a data sometimes where <laughs> I'm so nerdy that I almost feel like an Android just kind of <laughs> not using contractions or whatever. But I think Justin Lin and company really captured that in this movie. They captured well, one, they captured the fun of the franchise. They captured the, uh, just the, uh, how do I describe it? The fun and the, but also the philosophy of the franchise. And that's hard to do. And I think what, what made them able to do that was the fact that, and I'm going to say this in the most positive way, because this is a positive for me. The story was pretty formulaic. This, this wasn't an original idea. You know, you had this thing, this artifact, that was capable of destroying the universe and you had a bad guy. Great opening scene, by the way, just the fact that you're mentioning the artifact, the the way that the artifact is introduced is just flat out brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Such misdirection while at the same time foreshadowing. It it was awesome. But, but, but you make, you make a great point there in saying that the things that are considered normal or considered ordinary, which I think the story by all accounts, is sort of ordinary. There's nothing spectacular about this. It became a baseline to explore and to enhance all these other things that make the franchise great. And that's where I think most of the freedom came from, is the story didn't have to be overly thought. It didn't have to be run through as far as like, hmm, okay, we need to amp up that, that theme right there. We need to amp up that moment. No, it was, it was really about, here's the story, now let's have fun with the characters. Let's have fun with those little things and let's let's see what we can do to tweak those things that might be considered ordinary and make them extraordinary. And that artifact is a great example of it. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the uh ideology of Krull and how is it Krull? It's Krull. <laughs> I think I think it's Krull. K R U L L? I think it's Krull with an A. Because okay. I I'm saying Krull because I watched Krull the movie Kroll this past week. Okay. <laughs> and and so it's been, it's kind of confusing. There's a lot of K names going on. There was Kirk, there was Kroll, there was uh, Kalara, I believe is the right. name of the other alien that kind of led them into the, this whole trap. Um, right. So the K names get a little bit confusing. So let's go with Kroll. Okay. I, think I we, can. I, okay. Yeah, let's go. Kroll. Let 
Okay. Idris Elba. (laughs) (laughs) Proceed. So the ideology that he has and his, his reason for fighting you mentioned is because he was born into this world of war. He came up as a soldier and a general um, in this war. He was fighter and he was a good one. And because he was such a good one that once peace happened, they said, okay, you're a war hero. Here's a ship. Go be peaceful. And it makes me think of, in a lot of ways, how America was formed. You know, we did the same things. George Washington was our first president. Why was George Washington put in charge of the presidency? Because he was a general. He was a general. That's what he was. He was a war-fighting man. He was out there running around, beating up the British, and he became the man, the figurehead, the one that, that got the power because you know that's who we looked to. That's who we knew. But what he knew, and I'm not saying that he made choices like Crawl, but he came up in a background of this this fighting and that's similar to you know what crawl has done he's been placed in this new position that's not the same thing as what he got good at you know he he's good at something else and because of that he's put in this position that's completely unfamiliar to him and so here he is wanting to find some sort of normalcy in what he's doing he wants to get back to kind of that that fighting spirit in a way um, and I think it's interesting how that plays off of Kirk, who grew up in a peaceful world, but kind of wants to find some action. Do you do you see that at all? Absolutely, I do. In fact, one of the themes I connected to was the two ideologies, and that really played up in the moment when Kirk and Crawl were, you know, at the climax of the movie when Crawl has the, the the artifact and he's about to throw it into the airlock and Kirk's trying to take him down. And as you mentioned, uh, each was born into a world that was different. One was born into a world of war. One was born into a world of peace. But there's the, the, the thing is, is that the reality is what it is. I mean, they both are living currently in this reality. Um, so, you know, Kirk being born into a world of peace, like you mentioned, I mean, he even mentioned, he, he sounded like he was stir crazy being on the enterprise. Like they weren't doing anything. They were just kind of exploring. This wasn't really, he, he wasn't denying his role as captain. He just, you could tell by, by his opening monologue that he wanted to, he wanted to do something more. And so they're both battling the same thing, the need to fight and battle in order to keep their importance or their identities intact. And they both struggle with how the world is. But here's where they diverge. One tries to change it while the other embraces it and makes it part of who he is. So when you have those two conflicting people who they may come from different places, but their ambitions are the same, the need to feel important through strength or through a you know, brute force or whatever it is. Um, I think we get a lot more of a roundedness of Kirk in that moment when he's fighting crawl, because when he specifically says I was born into a world of peace, that was almost his way of saying, I am accepting the reality of where we are right now. And not only am I accepting it, but I'm willing to embrace it and be a part of continuing that that worldview and that ideology. That's good, man. I, 
I think that nails it. Um, I, I agree. And I think that that's part of what this, this, <laughs> I almost said again, this episode, it, it's just so natural to say this episode <laughs> just feels like an episode, but that I think that's a big part of kind of the depth that this movie lets us have, um, within the formulaic story that it's telling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it does give us some deeper things to ponder. And that's, that's what Star Trek does. That's what Star Trek is supposed to do. It's supposed to make us wonder. It's supposed to make us think about who is right and who is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. The other theme that is running through this thing, all through it, um, is it pertains to, again, the three Ks, Kirk, Kral, and Kalara. <laughs> all captains. All, at some point, have lost their crew. And all state, very explicitly they would do anything to save or to you know take care of their crew and yet they're all doing this in different ways crawl is doing it by trying to reform his crew by taking on these other aliens and other um, stranded uh, beings that happen to come around his planet he's trying to create a new crew to replace his uh you know kalara is trying to is willing to sacrifice innocent people in order to get her crew back from crawl to save them and kirk is you know trying to do the same thing he's trying to save his crew and do it as you know as as good as he can without you know hurting anyone else in the process that's innocent but i don't know did you did you pick up on that did you feel it made me wonder what I would do if I was Kalara more than anything, because there's a, a great brief moment where she's explaining this to him. Uh, it's pretty much, I guess it's right after I think, no, I think it's right before it's before she actually uh, outs herself as trying to get the artifact or maybe, maybe it's actually right after that, but she says to him, she's like, what wouldn't you do anything to save your crew? Hmm. And it made me, and Kirk gives her the look like he's kind of, you know, he's thinking about it. Like, what would I do to save my crew? And it made me think, you know, what, what, what do we do in that situation? Because that's, that's the beauty of what a Star Trek does is I'm watching this action movie, but I'm having this deep philosophical question in my mind. This moral dilemma is spinning around to me going, okay, so it's my kids. It's my kids. It's my best friends. And all my family members that have been taken by this alien. And he's told me that all I have to do is lure this Enterprise ship here to replace them. And I can have all my friends and family back. Am I going to, am I able to say no to that? Am I able to do that? Or am I going to be Kalara? Am I going to leave that ship there and just claim that I hope that they're able to defend themselves? I need to get my people back. And so I think that those kind of questions and those kind of um, moral dilemmas are something that enhance this series so much and make it something way more than just a typical summer blockbuster. Right. And I think that when you, when you mix that in with a nice balance of comedy, with a nice rounded cast that know how to deliver the amazing script writing that Simon Pegg and his partner did. Oscar worthy. You, you get, I said it. 
<laughs> you get something pretty beautiful. You get something that is worth visiting on multiple levels. So you watch something like The Big Short that is driven heavily or or the social network. We'll say that. We'll use we'll use um the screenwriter Aaron Sorkin as an example. His writing style is worth listening to multiple times. One, because you miss stuff because mm-hmm. it's so fast. Oh yeah. But I've never seen his screenwriting in anything that is based in an action adventure. It's always been something that's driven by drama. And it's appropriate for that. West Wing, Newsroom, Social Network. We don't see guns blazing. We don't see battle sequences. So to see somebody like Simon Pegg and his part I can't remember who his partner is. I'm sorry for that because he deserves equally as much of credit because it was a co-written production um, or effort project. Um, when you when you see those kinds of ideas interspersed with dialogue that gets you laughing, that goes beyond slapstick, that's genuinely just fun to listen to and connects you with those characters, particularly for me, seeing Bones and Spock and their chemistry, um, I think that was um, a great example of the kind of dialogue and the kind of writing that elevated this movie beyond just being a fun popcorn adventure, which, which is good in of itself. But I think this is what elevates it is good writing, a good sense of how to write dialogue, how to push the story along in ways that may not make sense from a science point of view, but make sense from the movie's general plot point of view. Like I think any kind of, well, we'll get into that, but I just, I think having that balance is what made this movie really, really good. Yeah. The writing is off the charts. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I was kind of half jokingly spurting out Oscar worthy there, but to be honest within the context of what this film is supposed to be, this writing is unheard of. It really is. And it's, it's so well done. It's so concise and just, and just, perfectly executed that uh without the need for it's witty it's always witty it's never slapstick um it's always character driven so you know each character feel in a in a marvel movie for example um civil war i i i felt like every character had become tony stark or spider-man you know every single character was quipping in the same manner as a tony stark uh, and, it, and it was like, well, that's not necessarily every character's role. That's not how every character speaks. Um, but in something like this, you know, everyone has their unique defined style. And you mentioned it, man. Bones and Spock, huh, putting them together it is incredible. I'm so happy. You know, yes, I love, love the Kirk and the Spock dynamic that we've been building. I love it. Mm-hmm. But they're hardly together in this entire movie. And that's okay because yeah. we got to see them interacting as a crew, we got to see Bones and Spock. We got to see Kirk and Chekhov and Kirk and Ahura um, and, and different different combinations of these crew, you know, Scotty and Jayla, the new character. Mm. Gosh, um, Jayla was fantastic. Oh, she's oh my gosh. She's fantastic. Uh, but but like with, with Bones and Spock, they're so similar because, you know, Bones is a very to the point, factual guy. Spock is a to the point 
factual guy. But Bones's manner of getting that across is often extremely exaggerated. You know, he'll <laughs> say, instead of saying we're going to die, he's going to say, you know, we're going to burn uh, in, at 200 degrees Fahrenheit for 25 minutes <laughs> until our fingers, you know, melt and, you know, our arm molds into the side of our body. Like, that's how he's going to describe that. And Spock is going to say something just very bland and logical, you know, mm -hmm. about it. He's not going to go into this gross, exaggerated talk, but yet they're saying the exact same type of things. And so, so their dialogue between each other just ends up to being this. I mean, it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful place to be. Uh, right. It, just spending time with those two characters. I, I could, I could watch them on screen endlessly. It felt like, mm -hmm. um, and check off, was another one, uh, yeah. man, you know, it's, it's so sad because, um, having seen Anton Yelchin in green room, I know you haven't seen it yet. Um, but gosh, what a different type of movie that was, but he was incredible. And then this, you know, Chekhov's always been kind of a, in the movies so far, he's a background character, you know, he's, he's a, he's a recognizable character, but he's a background character. He got a full on supporting role in this movie. He developed, his character was brought along and grew up. And it was just, it was a beautiful thing and a tragic thing because you got to see so much of his talent on display mm -hmm. and it just makes it that much worse. The fact that, you know, that he's taken from us so soon and we're not going to get to experience that again. But at the same time, at least we have this, you know, to remember him by and to right. honor him by. I really enjoyed the pairings in, in this movie not only because of the chemistry between each person and their counterpart between Jayla and Scotty, uh, Kirk and Chekhov and Bones and Spock, but the fact that, um, again, I'm just going to go back to the West Wing for a minute. This was actually the episode that I'm going to talk about just very quickly. It wasn't a Sorkin written episode, but they did the same thing. There was, um, characters were paired off because of a situation like there was a lockdown inside the, the White House or something. And what that, writing, I don't know if it's a writing device or a storytelling device or whatever, it does two things successfully. If, if it's done well, it does two things successfully. One, it allows characters to develop and interact with people they wouldn't necessarily, which was not necessarily the case here, but you got to see each character have more breathing room. So you got to see conversations and get more personality um, from characters like you mentioned, like Chekhov that you di didn't, haven't gotten to see in the first two iterations of this new Star Trek franchise. It's usually been about, um, Kirk, McCoy, Spock. Um, and then you have the, the secondary characters around that. So pairing them up like that, you get, you get more character development, but how you pair them up also gives them a connecting point with new people. So I would never put Kirk with Chekhov. I would with Bones and Scott or with, with, with Bones and, and Spock, but not with, with Kirk and Chekhov. So to have that, for example, and I, and I say this with the understanding that obviously um, what I would anticipate would be giving, you know, Anton more, more screen time in, in future films had he not passed away. What that does is that now gives him a relationship with Kirk so that he now has more people that you can write him into as far as conversations. 
And, um, and that's hard to do in a film that's what, two hours long, just over two hours filled with a bunch of action and great special effects and all these things. How do you, how do you create dialogue and how do you expand characters even more that haven't gotten a lot of screen time in previous, um, previous films? That's the way to do it. And I thought that the, the creative team did a fantastic job using that method. Yeah, they did. And you know, you know, another thing that they did that was fantastic with these actors um, that goes beyond just the way that they paired them, the dialogue that was written for them. Um, and I don't know if this was all direction or not. A lot of times this is direction. A lot of times this is just actors who are fantastic actors being fantastic actors. But there was so many moments, there were so many moments of wonderful body language and facial expressions in this movie. Man, I, I caught them constantly. Um, you know, there's a, a great scene that we will eventually talk about uh, where there is certain music playing. And just, you know, the camera snaps down and you see, uh, you know, Chekhov just barely bobbing his foot he's tapping his foot and <laughs> yeah. you see like sulu and he's kind of kind of bobbing and kirk half grinning half kirk, grinning a little bit kirk's kind of nodding and they're just like they're they're all moving to the beat and to the music um and then there's there's a, another great moment where um the ship does what i consider to be uh the uss franklin is what it was at this point it was no longer the enterprise god rest the enterprise poor ship um but stop killing the enterprise right i know i know <laughs> i I'm, i hope we're done with that um but they're in the uss franklin and they have their what i consider to be their fast and furious moment uh of the of the ship where starship where you know they go straight down and they have to come come up um and when they finish that sequence Chekhov just looks at sulu and he i mean the the all, it says it all the look on his face says it all and sulu just raises his eyebrow and it's just this this great subtle <laughs> silence uh but it, it says so much about like it's like them it's it's like they had just exclaimed oh my gosh that worked like <laughs> i can't believe it i sat here and said i had every confidence in you but i really didn't and I, we're alive and oh my gosh i can't believe it you know and <laughs> It just there were constant examples of that throughout the whole movie, and I I really love that they did it. Whether it was the actors <laughs> or the writing or the dialogue, whoever whoever was responsible, yeah, good job because it added a lot to the film for me. For sure, the joke was you know we have you know Fast and Furious in space um, that I think you and I have gone back and forth, and maybe other people have said that, but. Um, I was just thinking it'd be so, I mean, it would be inappropriate completely, but at some point I was just waiting for Vin Diesel to pop out at the end of the movie and go, you can have any drink in the universe as long as it's a Corona, you know, it oh, just, man. <laughs> so, you know, speaking of that, you know, along the lines of the wanting those fast and the furious moments. So my kids are huge fans of the fast and furious series. And, uh, if, you know, if I was going to make a claim that this this movie series now three deep and and with more to come, thankfully. Uh, if, if I was going to make a comparison, Fast and the Furious and the way that it is created via you know focusing on its characters and its family, which Justin Lin is you know big big on big part of that, um, and it the way that those those films revolve around that core group of people uh, experiencing different situations, they're very similar to what we're we're seeing here in the Star Trek universe, um, and also kind of a mission impossible feel 
somewhat mm-hmm. too. I think you mentioned that to me at one point, um, one of our conversations, but so anyway, my kids are huge, uh, fast and furious fans as am I. And so our big thing was we were, wa- we were watching the whole movie waiting for the enterprise to drift. And we had already made a pact. We had already like shaken hands and said, if the enterprise drifts, that we were going to audibly cheer and we were waiting and waiting and waiting and we never got the drift. But we did get is we got that spaceship moment, the starship moment where the Franklin drops straight down and then comes whooshing up. That was fast and furious moment for me. Kirk on the motorcycle was a total fast and furious moment for me. And although the, the scene that I'm going to reference happened in, I believe it was furious seven, which was not directed by Justin Lin. The, image or the action where Scotty is running off of the falling uh, escape pod and leaps Mm -hmm. at the edge of the cliff and goes sliding off the edge of the cliff and just ends up hanging by one hand is like exactly shot for shot what Paul Walker does in Furious 7 only it's off of a car Um, and the same exact thing happens it just it's those moments being in there I'm I'm not gonna lie to you I loved it. <laughs> I, I was eating it up. Like the merger of those ideas uh, was just an explosion of awesomeness for me. And I did not stop smiling this entire movie. Yeah. And I think that when it comes to stuff like that, this may be a, a, a conversation for a separate podcast altogether, but valuing what a director brings as far as his history or her history with movies, the style or the particular elements of, of storytelling or cinematography or whatever. Um, we, we mentioned guys like Chris Nolan and the, the types of movies that he makes or the types of visually, um, just visual bigness of, of Michael Bay movies. We knew going in this that Justin Lim was going to have a, a quote-unquote fast and furious style to that. The fear, I think, was was it going to be appropriate? You know, Star Trek and there's a motorcycle in the trailer. What? And see, this is where I, this is where I think it gets really, it can be polarizing. Um, because we have, I'm going to say the song sabotage that was used in the trailer made for a great rock and roll trailer. But then we find out that it's used as a plot device. What? Mm-hmm. Sabotage used as a plot device. The same thing with the motorcycle. We're going, why is a motorcycle in a Star Trek movie? But they explain why. And it makes sense. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out, expository re- reason. Kirk says, this is an old ship. Hey, look, my dad used to have this motorcycle. What's it doing on the ship? Who cares? It's on there. That's how you know it got to this moment. So you know it's an old motorcycle because it's sitting on an old ship. And we don't care how he gets it working or why it's still working. What we care about is how cool it looks when he's racing through the valley with these hologram, you know, technologies that are just amazing. These refracting things Jalen has has been using. By this point, we're just like we're we're quite maybe literally or figuratively. I might be using literally wrong, so you know, hold me to that. We're just along for the ride at this point and enjoying the ride, and. I think when we see that and you and I, I think both walked away from this movie going in Lynn, we trust 
that his stylistic approach to a Star Trek movie, particularly this one, felt right. Mm -hmm. It felt appropriate. It didn't feel weird. It didn't feel like we were getting Fast and the Furious in space. We were getting a Star Trek movie with some Fast and the Furious elements thrown in to amplify the greatness of the movie. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm, I'm, I'm anxious for more of that. Um, I would like to see another one by him. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't mind if they took the direction of, you know, mixing it up, do two Abrams, do two Lynn, and then give us two of, you know, somebody completely different. That's going to give us right. a little bit of a different feel, um, to the, to the universe. Cause your characters, man, as long as the writing is there, you can't, these actors have nailed it. They have, they are in a lot of ways, my definitive crew. Um, that's coming from someone who did not watch entire series, uh, of the originals, uh, whether it's Star Trek, the original series, next generation. I've never watched one of the full series all the way through. I've seen episodes here and there. Um, but they're as good as anybody I've ever seen, you know, playing the roles, uh, that they've been given before we, get to that musical cue because I want to spend some time there. I want to mention one more kind of big impactful idea that I, I pulled out of this. There is a scene is it was in contention for my, my most, my, my connecting point uh, because it was such a powerful moment for me. Um, ultimately did not go with it because something else hit me just a little bit harder. But when Kirk says to Spock, Spock's hurt. And they're, they're reuniting for the first time on the planet and, 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 Kirk, and Kirk, but we have no ship and we have no crew. And Spock says, we will find hope in the impossible. And that really resonated with me uh, because in a lot of ways, Spock is, is speaking about faith and whether it's faith in each other at this point um, or just, you know, faith in their, their crew members or their team um, he's talking about faith that's what faith is it's hope in the impossible it's hope in the unknown uh, in the un unguaranteed and he, that comes out in this movie so well just that theme of constant hope constant optimism that the world is not going to go to hell in a handbasket we're not going to let it it's not going to happen on our watch um, yes, bad things have happened. People have died. Horrible tragedies have occurred. But we are going to be able to win this. We're going to be able to overcome. And I thought that that was just really, really um, impactful in that moment between those two characters, largely as well because we haven't seen them very much together on screen uh, in the movie up to that point. And so for them to come back together and like that's one of their first interactions together is this bam – hit you in the face um, moment where Spock's saying, just, just have hope, Kirk, come on, just, just stay up. Kirk, I'm going to tell you, you know, stay optimistic, stay hopeful and keep going because you're going to get it done just like you do. That's what you do. Um, and his belief in Kirk, his, his faith in Kirk, it's, it just really moved me. Mm -hmm. The Trek franchise has a great ability to promote optimism without being cheesy at least in most of its iterations. I I don't know that we see that a lot in what I would call modern film. I think we, what we get are serious themes with serious consequences. The Nolan Batman trilogy is a great example of that, and particularly, in particular, The Dark Knight. 
and the very real idea is that we connect with as humans, but we don't we don't end with we can be better necessarily. We have to really fight to get there. And there's there's definitely some payoff in fighting for that. But I, it's difficult in this day and age, in a world of default pessimism, <laughs> to to write a story that is backboned by this idea that optimism is what drives the story. Optimism is what drives the characters. And to not come across as overtly cheesy or like an after-school special, that's what I really appreciate about the Trek franchise. I'm like you. If I had to pick one universe between something like Star Wars and Star Trek, I would go with Trek because to me, it it has more human substance, more philosophical substance and stuff that I connect with. And I think as a bonus is it's incredibly entertaining. It's incredibly thought-provoking and entertaining at the same time. And it's difficult for movies to do that. Um, I think you know, directors try and do that and, and, and man, more power to them. It's, it's a tough thing to, to try and do. And so when it succeeds, it's really beautiful. I agree. I, it, it is. And, uh, you know what else is beautiful, beautiful, Patrick? What's that? Classical music is beautiful. Yes. Love classical music. <laughs> uh, so uh, man, <laughs> was that not one of the best action sequences you've ever seen? Oh my gosh, that just, wow. The swarm, yikes. What? I just, I'm sitting in my chair. I'm gripping the the armrest of my chair going, what is happening here? (laughs) Why is the Enterprise getting ripped to shreds by a bunch of bees? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, when that happens, you know, and and so, so we, that sets the stage and we see, you know what these things can do and then they're yeah. here they are you know hurtling every single one of them hurtling at this this space station which we have you know accurate or uh, you know we've been set up for us a little bit with bones earlier saying it looks like a snow globe waiting to be cracked <laughs> you know and so we know what this these things can do and um i got to tell you man i i will never there are there are game changers in film where something happens that is so strongly impactful that you will never be able to shake it. Um, and so Blair Witch Project did something like that for me. Um, there's certain things about that film that when I see a branch up against a window with a shadow um, scratching on it, like I will never be able not to think about that movie because of what my experience was with that film. I will never, ever be able to listen to Sabotage again without (laughs) seeing thousands upon thousands of spaceships exploding in front of my face. Like, and, and just a crew of awesome actors giddy at that happening. I mean, I just, oh man, it was so awesome. And the entire theater was just kind of erupting. I don't know how yours was, but mine just kind of, you could feel the adrenaline. You could feel the excitement and that musical cue in that moment when it hits and the boom happens, the mode, the biggest one, uh, it's something that is just never going to get out of my mind. No, for sure, man. And it was that way for me enough that it was my close runner up 
for connecting point because that's the moment in the that's the moment in the movie where I wanted to just stand up and clap and 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 and, and, and not and not and not the slow clap either that like <laughs> it's like Rocky like, knocking out you know his dude, opponent yeah it's like it's like Kevin Bacon and Tremors going f you after he you know right? the Tremor hits the big giant I mean that's the way I felt I felt like I, it was it was I said to you it was a mental fist pump because I couldn't you know I'm I'm that guy who just can't do that in the theater and uh, and I think you said it was what did you say it was an audible fist bump for you it was an audible <laughs> yeah myself my kids my roommate we all squealed I mean I, and we weren't the only ones but I mean I, I could not avoid an actual sound coming out of my body at that point. Like it was impossible. It was too, I was too hyped up. I mean, the the pressure is building. The joke is there with the, is this classical music, the way that things are playing out, the intensity and the, um, I guess the level of stakes that are there at that time that's leading up to this. And then the, just, you hear the music kicking in and you're just, you know, it's coming. Like, that's the thing. You don't know what it's going to be yet. You don't know what, how it's going to look. You, you can't, you can't visualize what's going to happen because, you know, but you know, something's going to happen. You know, right. it's going to be big. It's going to be crazy. You know that there's like a fast and furious moment coming and it is just slowly. It feels like it's in time. It's just in slow motion. It's just waiting for you to get there. And then it's like, boom, you know, and it's, oh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm hyped just thinking about it. <laughs> um, listeners, Aaron is bouncing, literally bouncing. <laughs> I am sitting on a um, ball, so that's... He's, he's, he's sitting on a ball, <laughs> but I would almost say he's literally bouncing off the walls, but in this case, he's just bouncing off the floor. <laughs> he's so excited. <laughs> oh, it's so good, man. So good. And, you know, it's not even just the use of sabotage. The score in general... Um, I, Gosh, I don't want to pronounce this guy's name wrong. Uh, it's Michael, Michael, G- it's Michael, Michael Giacchino. Giacchino. Oh, yeah. man. He has rocketed up there to be you know, right, right up there with, uh, um, Minconi. Is it, oh gosh, who's the other guy, the guy that did like the hateful eight and Tarantino's score. Um, I can't remember. he won the Oscar last year, Ernesto. Or, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Minconi Mincone or Milconi, I don't know. Somebody's going to come to the Facebook group and get mad at me. So yeah, if you're <laughs> out there and you ha- and you're not part of our Facebook group, sign up for it just so you can correct me, please stay positive uh, and keep correcting us. That's what we're yeah, going to say. <laughs> absolutely. But this guy has rocketed up my list of favorite composers up there with mm-hmm. Elfman up there with John Williams. Uh, his scores, especially for this series are just phenomenal. I believe he also did up. Um, and I'm sure and many, many others, he's done some Pixar, other Pixar work as well. And I believe he did 10 Cloverfield Lane as well. Well, you know what? That's one of my favorite scores ever, um, the way that the sound is used in that one. So that wouldn't surprise me a bit. It's good stuff. He, he I really like the music in this one. Uh, and just in general, the way that they've done the score is pretty powerful. Uh, and then, you know, as we briefly mentioned, Sophia Butella would be remiss if we didn't mention her name, but she is the actress who plays Jayla. Phenomenal job, phenomenal character. Want more of her? Please, please, please bring her back in the next yes. film. Let her become yes. part of the crew. I mean, it looks like she's gonna be uh, from the the end sequence we got there um, when they're at the party. Uh, so I, yeah, just that's what Star Trek's all about, man. You know, they're meeting yep. these different races, they're bringing them on board, they're becoming part of the family, part of the crew. Um, gosh, so good. 
So much fun, man. And my hope, um, again, I don't know what the future of this franchise is going to be, but my hope is that, um, gosh, this is going to be a slippery slope because I know that we've read that Chekhov's character is not going to be replaced, Mm -hmm. that apparently if they do another movie, somehow they're going to have to write him out. I would love to see Jalen maybe insert herself in the crew in a similar fashion, not become the checkoff necessarily, but that would, for me, that would really help amplify this, the Kelvin universe, Kelvin verse or whatever we're calling this universe. That's kind of a skewed version of the original Star Trek verse. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that her in inclusion into maybe into the crew um, as a means to kind of further separate it from comparing it to the original series. Um, I, I hope that happens. By the way, uh, I'm make a quick quick note. Bear McCreary did 10 Cloverfield Lane. I know that okay. I'm going to get flack for that, so I want to go ahead and retract my statement. Um, <laughs> You've saved yourself. Uh, yes, I did. Our 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 uh, friend of the podcast, Scott, is going to... He's going to try to behead me if I if I don't correct myself, because Bear McCreary was the guy behind Battlestar. Um, so my apologies, my apologies. But um, but uh, but our guy on this on this movie was fantastic as well. Yeah, just real quick before we move on with with this topic, you know, Jayla and what you were saying, I agree with completely. Um, I hope that she becomes a. I hope that she becomes an equal part of the crew in the way that Chekhov was without becoming like Chekhov. And I, I actually hope that they do not kill him off. That is, that is my one wish. If JJ is listening to this podcast, um, I'm going to, I'm going to hold out hope that by a year from now or whenever, before this movie comes out, I guess two more years, probably three, possibly depending on how long they want to take on it. At some point, JJ is going to hear feeling film and we are going to become a, a normal part of his, his listening rotation. Uh, and especially JJ, since you're calling him JJ and not Mr. Abrams, apparently you have a good rapport with him already. <laughs> oh, we've already, we're past, we're past formalities. So JJ, do not kill Chekhov. Do not kill the character. Uh, if you want the character to go away, you can easily have Simon write that in, uh, he can just say that Chekhov's off in school somewhere. You know, please, please respect that enough to not show us or tell us what has happened to that character. Uh, leave it, leave it open ended. I have every faith that that's what you're going to do anyway. But I want to take credit for telling you. <laughs> Back in 2016, where we have no idea how we know these people, um, <laughs> that is our humble request, Mr. Abrams and Mr. Peg, for future installments. Please do this. So <laughs> now that we've gone off the rails, uh, how about we bring it back in and uh, let's do our connecting points. Let's I like let's, it. let's hit them up. So All right. I'm going to go first. I've been going first most of this podcast. Uh, like you said, I guess I'm playing the role of captain, um, but you're being a very, very respectful first officer. I don't think I'm going to demote you. Can you call me number one at some point? Oh, you are <laughs> definitely my number one. <laughs> hey, so... I mentioned, you know, the moment of of hope um, and optimism between Spock and Kirk um, being so close to the pick for this in my for my choice. Um, but what ultimately is my choice is kind of something non probably not a lot of listeners would expect. Um, it was something certainly that I didn't expect it to be my connecting point because 
it's not this big setup emotional scene with a speech or with tears or anything like that. It's just kind of a normal scene, but it, it said so much to me. And in a lot of ways, it was a combination or culmination of several other times that this happened in the movie. So my favorite scene or my connecting point uh, is the moment in the USS Franklin when it's on the line, they got to get out of there. They have limited time. They don't know if this ship's going to fly. This ship is old. It can't get into the atmosphere the same way that the Enterprise could. And so they're going to have to, quote unquote, jumpstart it. And there's this tracking shot that occurs, and it starts to circle around the bridge and eventually, you know, shots, it eventually cuts and shows us Scotty in engineering and, and some other, and I think maybe Bones is, is not in the bridge at that time. He might be in medical. Um, but each character, each part of the main crew team has something to say. And so this, this, this decision on how they're going to get the USS Franklin out, someone has the initial idea and then they each start to input like one little piece that can help. It's like, oh, and then we can do this. And and then somebody else says, oh, but, oh, but then if you do that, then this, and then this, then this. And it was just a, such a great way of showing the teamwork and showing how important every single one of them was to making this actually happen, right? Like they couldn't, it, it, it's so, so subtly show that they could not get off this planet without being together. They couldn't do it, just one of them. They couldn't do it, just two of them. It took all of them and all of their collective, um, their brains and their ideas to make it happen. And it kind of comes back then at the end of the movie, the very, very end of the movie, right before the end credits, when the famous to boldly go where no man has gone before, uh, speech kind of comes on. And we hear these are the voyages, of the USS enterprise. And then instead of it just being one voice, each crew member says a piece of that phrase as it goes on and on and on. And again, it ties into that scene on the Franklin where everybody has a part in this role, in this, in this world, everybody are in this, in this crew. Like they are so much a crew. They are so much a family, uh, familia. If we're going to go fast and furious <laughs> references, you know, like, but Justin Lin brought that, I believe. And, it's it elevates this series and my buy-in to these characters to a place that most movies don't uh, because they're not just a bunch of great actors that are working well together. Um, they are continually showing us how they need each other. And while they may have a chain of command that at the end of the day, all of their ideas are valued. All of their input is valued they are equals. Um, they love each other. They need each other. They care about each other. And those mm -hmm. two things tied together to show me that. And so that's why, you know, it was really what I connected with most in the movie. That's great, man. I'm really glad you mentioned specifically that last bit about, about each of the, uh, the crew quoting the original monologue. And you mentioned Justin Lin bringing this idea of family. I think, I think he, I think he refreshed that idea of family because the connecting point for me um, harkened back to the original series, and it was a moment with Spock. We find out early on, and I thought this was really touching and, and well done. 
he finds out that Ambassador Spock has passed away. And of course, we know you know Leonard Nimoy you know passed away, but so we so we get that we get that piece of information early on, and we find out through the course of the movie that Spock has this compelling need to go to leave Starfleet and go back and help rebuild um as a new Vulcan, I think is what it was called. Yeah, new Vulcan. New Vulcan. You know, with the with the passing of Ambassador Spock. Um we know that he's been comprehend or comprehending contemplating it uh, probably a hundred percent at some point um to leave Starfleet and do that. And it didn't seem that far fetched that this was going to happen. I mean the the liberties that this franchise has taken with some of the characters and some of the events, I, I, you know, I could see this franchise moving on um, with Spock in that capacity, because I know in some of the earlier movies, we knew that, you know, Ab, you know, Captain Kirk became Admiral at some point and didn't pilot the, the enterprise. Anyway, that's a different whole different thing. So getting to the, the moment for me. So there's a moment near the end of the movie, they've come back and he's going through ambassador Spock's personal effects and he runs across this photo of the original crew and I remember that photo because it was used as like poster art for one of the early Star Trek movies and the camera pans through and we see close-ups well not close-ups but you know closer shots of, of each individual member and without you mentioned I think you mentioned this nonverbal communication used throughout the movie it was on display here with the young Spock where you see him contemplating and coming to the conclusion without saying anything that his place is with his family, with his crew on the enterprise doing what they've been doing and continuing on this, this ongoing mission that they are all a part of. And I think in that moment it did two things. One, it, Again, played a small little little homage to the old crew, but it also amplified this new uh, this not new but refreshed idea that this crew was a family. They weren't just a team; that they have lived and and suffered and have gone through so much. Even in the course of you know three years, I think Kirk mentions they're on year three of their five year mission, and. Um, I think the fact that it was not only just an homage, but a legitimate story beat really, it made sense in that moment. And I think it, I think it echoed what you mentioned in your connecting point that it really comes down to being a part of a family and what that means and how important that is to each individual member as it pertains to keeping the family together, keeping the family successful and keeping the family alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was, that was the moment for me. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Um, this one, you know, it definitely offers us a lot to think about, a lot to enjoy. Um, I I don't know about you. I mean, I it, we were seeing so many movies, it's hard to get out and see stuff twice. But if, if there was one that I want to really, really badly, this is one that I want to catch again in a theater, if at all possible, uh, before yeah. it exits its run. Yeah. It, you so know, any, any, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. Uh, no, I was just going to say any any final thoughts regarding your takeaway from the movie. I mean, obviously it was a winner for you. <laughs> uh yeah, it was a winner. I believe that Star Trek 2009 is in my top 50 all-time. 
uh, it might, it changes all the time, but, but it's, it's, you know, pretty, pretty static, you know, it, it means it's not going to drop far, but it is that good to me. Uh, it is, it's so special. The, Into Darkness was a notch below a little bit. Um, this one got real close to achieving what Star Trek 09 uh, did for me. Uh, and I think that it cements this series as a favorite forever. Uh, it's one that I want to follow. It's one that I want to own all of them of, like I said earlier, I want to rewatch them all frequently. This will be a yearly thing for me, just rewatching mm-hmm. all the Star Trek movies. Um, I'm super excited and and on board with the direction they're going, and pretty much everything Star Wars. I mean, I watched the pilot of Next Generation to check that out. Um, I'm definitely going to be checking out the new CBS Star Trek show that's coming out in 2017. Mm-hmm. See how that one can be, uh, and I just am. I'm just excited. I'm just happy pleasantly surprised um i got to talk about and a movie that i really enjoyed and it just makes me smile and uh you know energizes me inside so Mm. what about you you got any final thoughts oh yeah i totally agree with all that i mean this film i think we mentioned before that it jettisons any need to have connection between the films feels more like an anthology uh than anything Mm. else and I think that Beyond specifically really hit the much-needed target of feeling like a standalone feature from the previous two. Um, You mentioned earlier the Mission Impossible franchise, which Simon Pegg is also in, coincidentally. Um, It has the luxury of creating new stories with this crew, um, with various writers, as long as they're on point like that, and new directors. It's like much like the Furious movie, Furious franchise and the Mission Impossible franchise, there's this playground where creators can just explore as long as they have this foundation of, okay, here's what you can't mess with. Um, have at it, have some fun. And there aren't a lot of franchises that can do this. Indiana Jones is another one. I mean, each movie is a standalone. Mm -hmm. Um, each of the three movies is a standalone that exist in my universe. I don't think there are any more than three, right? Is that nope, only three. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I had a brain fart for a minute. But movies like like that and um, that don't have to be a continuation of a story. There's value in that, and I love that. I love the fact that I don't know what I'm going to get, but I know at least something of what I'm going to get because I know these characters well enough to know that I'm going to get some Scott or get some get some bones and Spock sarcasm. I'm going to get some. Kirk swagger and I'm going to get some Scotty gibberish about engineering. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to get these common things, but at the same time, I'm going to get something, uh, a refreshing story that maybe I've seen before, but it will be in in a new light or maybe it'll be something original. Who knows? So the possibilities are endless and that makes it very exciting. Very exciting. (laughs) Did you do that on purpose? I didn't. (laughs) Oh, I wish you had. I know. Hey, so we need to get done. Um, we've okay. gone longer than we usually do, but you know what? No apologies from us. This was this was worthy of it. We didn't even get to talk about Idris Elba, man. Oh, we'll just give him a thumbs up anyway, just because he's awesome at everything he does. I loved him. Yeah, I did too. I thought um, I'm again. I, I I don't know what his quote unquote real accent is, but between the 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 merging of all the people that he was like kind of. You know, <laughs> just yeah um em- morphing, embracing yeah. or, or uh-huh. morphing into and his um his normal uh log entry 
accent. I was like, I don't even know what you sound like in real life. Uh, so I'm just going to go with whatever. <laughs> but it, but as an, but as a villain, I thought he was great. Yeah, I did too. And I love, I love the accent. I thought it was indicative of, like you said, the morphing of different, uh, con- consuming of different uh, souls in yeah. a way to keep himself alive. And it just had kind of this odd effect on his vocals. Um, and I really enjoyed the way that that was portrayed and his, uh, command on screen, but mm-hmm. so yeah, there we got our Idris Elba in. Hey, <laughs> where can people find you if they want to talk to you uh, this week and in the future? Uh, in the future, uh, <laughs> I am on Twitter at Shoeless Patch S H O E L E S S P A T C H. I'm also on Facebook at that same address, and you can now find me at uh, my revamped website, thisispatch.com. You can find out more about my interests, uh, including the Feel and Film podcast, but also my aspirations as a writer, amateur photographer, stuff like that, but just some uh, some cool stuff there. So I'd love to get um, comments, feedback, whatever. Uh, go explore, and that'll maybe help get you guys, um, you know, just kind of knowing more of my story. How about you, man? That's great. Uh, I highly recommend that as well. Go check it out. This is patch.com. It's good stuff. Uh, you can find me all over Twitter, Facebook, uh, everywhere else at Aaron L white, A A R O N E L W H I T E. Uh, if you would like to follow the show, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at feeling film, F E E L I N F I L M. I feel like you should probably know how to spell it if you found the podcast, but I always like to give that out just in case. And as I mentioned earlier, ever-growing Facebook group. We talk about it every week because it's getting bigger every week. It's getting more and more awesome and more and more fun every week. And so we're just going to keep plugging it. Uh, Come join it. Come get in that conversation. Uh, Post your thoughts. Post your trailers. Uh, Make fun of me when I turn hypocrite about trailers because that's what happened this week. (laughs) Someone (laughs) called me out and uh, had to try and defend myself. And I don't don't know that I did very well. But yeah, the Facebook group is there. You can get to that. There's a link to that on our website, feelandfilm.com. So you can click on that. Just just click that you're going to join the group, and I think somebody has to hit approve, uh, and then you're in. It's no big deal. Uh, you can also find a link to that on the show's Facebook page as well. So please do that, and I guess that's about it. What are we doing next week, Patrick? Ah, next week is uh, celebrating one of my favorite times of the year. Every couple of even years, the Olympics are coming to town a week from Friday. And so that uh, that Monday uh, preceding it, we will be reviewing a classic and one of my all time favorites, Chariots of Fire. That's right. We're feeling the classics and we are excited. Guess what? I've never seen it. Uh, well, oh. I haven't seen it as an adult. I've seen it when I was probably six or seven years old. I remember very, very little about it outside of the score, uh, which is what everybody knows about it. Um, in yeah, fact, I will, be honest with, I will be honest with you. When we decided to cover it, I did not know it was about running um, and track. I Don't tell me you I, thought it was about chariots. <laughs> I, so moving on. Um, also, without giving everything away, we're going to tell you this. Keep your ears and your eyes out midweek because we've got something special coming for you it's a new mini sode we're not going to tell you what it's about until it happens it may or may not have something to do in some form or some fashion with the batman v superman ultimate edition so 
if you want to see that, you should see that now. But <laughs> this is something pretty cool. We've been excited about this, and we are really stoked uh, mm-hmm. and excited to bring this one to you. So, like I said, keep an eye on the Twitter. Subscribe to it. Follow it. Keep an eye on the Facebook page. We'll we'll put it out as soon as it comes out. Or just subscribe to the show, and you know you can get it to download automatically once it uh, the episode comes out uh, midweek. So, anyway... I guess that's about it for us. Uh, Patrick, until next time, stay positive. And keep feeling films.